check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome back to the Front Nine Podcast. Derek, Nate, and Bob are with you uh, following up on the Open Championship that just took place at Royal St. George's in Sandwich, England. Uh, fascinating stuff that we got to see from the 149th uh, Open Championship. Uh, your winner, Colin Morikawa, wins his second major in just two years. He's also the first player to ever debut and win two major championships in his debut. Uh, last year's PGA Championship at Harding Park, as well as his uh, debut at the Open. Because last year they didn't play the Open. Last year was only in 2020 due to COVID. There's only three major championships. And so he won, uh, which is odd. He won the first major of last year, won the last major of 2021, and is poised to head into the Olympics uh, on a very high note and uh, and maybe might be the favorite as of right now to take away uh, the gold medal. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week on next week's pod, uh, but just awesome stuff we saw at the Open Championship this week. Um, unfortunately, as Nate and Bob told me would happen uh, a week ago on the pod, my man Louis Oosthuizen did not come out with a win. I was feeling pretty good about it after the first three rounds. And, uh, and you know, what can I say? Bob, Nate, you guys were right. He, he, he crushed under the pressure on Sunday. So, yeah. I that's, mean, that's the just, least, least shocking news. Right. Of- <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is Louie doing Louie things. I mean, that's what he does. It's not like he was way off. I don't think he played like bad. I think he shot a 71 on Sunday, but yeah, one over. Fi- yep. He finds, I mean, and I don't think, you know, it's kind of like Rom and it, at Torrey Pines. I don't think the story is Louis lost that term. I think the story is Colin Morikawa won it. So, I mean, Louis was still a great, I mean, he finished third, which that's, I think, the real story is that he somehow yeah. found a way to not finish second. Because I think that would have been his seventh <laughs> runner up finish, which is really impressive. Um, yep. and, and you think about every one of those runner ups being, a about an, a million dollar check probably. Um, so I don't think he's sad and I think he took his private plane back to Ocala <laughs> where he lives here, pretty close to Jacksonville. And, and I think he probably bought another excavator and he's out hanging out <laughs> on his land somewhere in Ocala raising horses. So uh, I, I, like, I think he's happy with what he did. <laughs> well, but, yeah, know, but they, well, what you just said there is exactly right. He didn't win. You know, Colin went out and won it, but win it. Uh, you know, Louis didn't. He just and that I don't know what's in his head, but uh, he has trouble winning tournaments. It's not not losing. It's not winning. It's like the it's it's like the the football team right that goes into a prevent defense and is shocked that Tom Brady eats him up all the way down the field and gets a field goal at the end. Like it, you know, of course, that's going to happen. <laughs> that's a, that's just might be a little little poke at the Green Bay Packers there, but <laughs> right. Well, I don't I don't think I don't think Louie lost it, and I don't think that's bad. I think he played great for three rounds and just couldn't make putts. Um, I frankly, I don't care who's in that field. I don't think anybody's beating Colin Morikawa with what we saw, especially on the weekend. So chalk up another great finish for Louie, and I'm sure he probably feels a little bit disappointed. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I but, think when you go you go look at his round on Sunday, and the difference really between him and the other three guys at the top of the leaderboard was um, he made more bogeys than the rest of them. Uh, he made three, where I think Jordan made two, Rom made two, and Colin didn't make any. 
Um, he, but he made three. But one of his bogeys came on the par five seventh, which was playing the easiest hole on the golf course on Sunday. And two of those guys made an eagle, and Colin Morikawa made an easy birdie, had a putt for eagle on that hole, uh, where Louie actually bogeyed that hole. And so I think if um, if Louie actually got, like has a chance at an eagle on seven, um, doesn't make a bogey on seven, which is the easiest hole on the golf course, you might he might have hung in there a little bit longer and maybe been a little bit more um, able to make a run on that back nine. I just, I think it was a little, um, like those kinds of mistakes are what's costing him. Uh, he's making mistakes on holes that other people are taking advantage of. Um, just like he did at 17 in the U S open, um, and 13 in the PGA championship. I mean, uh, both of those, um, kind of are the same thing. Um, the, the thing that, that I was really confident in is that the, the way he made mistakes at at those golf courses going in uh, to the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship is he hit the ball out of play off the tee. And I knew going into a Lynx place, like you really can't hit it out of play on a Lynx golf course. Like you just can't. Like you might hit it into some really bad stuff, but you can't really hit it out of bounds in a lot of cases. Um, and, um, and, you know, but, but it, didn't really, it didn't really matter. He, you know, obviously makes bogey on the easiest hole in the golf course on Sunday. And I think that really did him in. And that was really kind of his undoing uh, for a chance to win the golf tournament in general. Plus, I mean, you can't, you can't do that kind of stuff, especially if the guy who's in your group with you is going to go out and shoot, you know, a four under par bogey free round and, uh, and win by two. So uh, maybe beating the best, you know, major, golfer in the world since 2015 which is jordan speed so um it's kind of a bummer though because he did lead after each round and i was really feeling good about it i was really feeling good about my pick i thought i thought i was going to be able to get on the podcast and brag but instead i have to tuck my tail between my legs and go hide well uh, I, I i was never concerned about that uh, yeah no i like <laughs> that, that, that i was that was never a concern on my side yeah, same. <laughs> it was just a matter of time. But speaking of that, I do feel like we owe our our hundreds of listeners a follow up from the last podcast that we did down at Innisbrook. <laughs> speaking, you know, speaking of coming on the podcast and being proud, and some folks having to put their head between their legs. Um, so, so that all the listeners are familiar. You know, the, the last podcast that we did, it was actually the first one that we've ever done all sitting in the same room. We yeah. were at uh, Innisbrook, and we had uh, one round of golf left to play in our golf trip down to Tampa. That's right. Uh, it, w- the scores were really close. It was it was a bunched-up leaderboard, it surprisingly enough. Now, I will say, uh, the previous month or so, I was dealing with some COVID-type uh, <laughs> situations, so that might have added to how close it was, um, but there was one round to play. And Bob, what what happened in that final round? Yeah, I think I, there I were I think there were like three or four shots separating all of us over the course of the what four uh, rounds, five rounds that we had played previously, going into the final round. So literally, yeah. anything is possible between the three of us. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't really remember exactly what happened that last day. <laughs> It was hot. We were on holes, you know, 90 to 108. You know, it's humid. I'm from California. It's, it's sweating profusely. 
I'm worried about making my flight because traffic is terrible. It's all of you, to be totally honest. I do. I, I will say I do. I do remember you blacking out on 16. Oh, my God. I think, <laughs> if, if Greg Whitney is listening, he oh has the funniest gosh. Bob Pan uh, golf story that I've ever heard, and we've told it on the podcast. Uh, coming down, Bob hooks a drive into the water, and like that ruins his team's chance of winning this uh, kind of special Ryder Cup style match. Yeah. But we came to sixteen, all pretty close. And Bob, K- I think there may have been like I'm not sure what you ended up taking on that hole, Bob. But I feel like it may have had two digits. It it, it was Whoa. it was close. I mean, I'll, 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 close, I'll put it yeah. this way. Um, for the whole, you know, the, the, the four rounds that we played at Copperhead, so exclude the other course, right, just four rounds at Copperhead, I think my total score was something in like the, I don't know, call it 25 over range, something like that. I don't know. I was, you know, about seven or eight over each day, roughly, right? So something like that. So maybe third. And on 16, my four scores were – my best score was a double. I had a double, two triples, and then I might have taken a nine or a ten on Saturday, on Sunday yeah. or on the last day. I don't, <laughs> I don't know yeah. exactly. Uh, I hadn't lost a ball until then, and I dropped a couple in the water. I, it was – Yeah, 16, uh, 16 was not good for Bob on the Copperhead course. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was – I'll say this. It was pretty frustrating for me because, like, I have never really been close at beating either of you. Um, and you know, I tied Nate going in the last day. I tied Nate on the front nine, uh, because I got a stroke. And so I shot 41 and he shot a 40. And, um, and so like, but on the back nine, I absolutely crapped the bed and he just ran away with it from that point on. I think he shot 37 and I think I shot close to 47. So (laughs) it was a very different back nine, but but like, Like I was just like, man, I I felt like I had a chance on the back nine, and I felt like I turned into uh, Rory McIlroy at the 2010 Masters. Um, (laughs) It was like, you know, Derek, like like watching the like watching the Open, I was never concerned about (laughs) you beating Nate. You know, over the 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 four days that we had together, you know, there were some ups and downs. Uh, but when Nate walked out of his car on the very first day, out of his car, and you know, on the very first drive, uh, you know, hit one down the middle, I was like, "Oh, all right." Uh, I, I think he's, he's going to be okay. Yeah, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say that that I think that nine that I you know eventually made it down after work and caught you guys on Friday. I think that I was ended your worst up shooting, nine. Yeah, like forty five or forty six yeah. or something like that, but. Uh, worked my way in, and, and like they say, cream rises to the top. So <laughs> the cream rises to the top. That's that's what they say. And and, and I feel for like you, it's got to rise pretty high because you're six foot seven. So it it does. But I, I will say, final round tincture showed up, I, and I know everybody's familiar with the sixty eight I shot at Stream Song Blue <laughs> to beat Bob the final day as well. Like I feel like we're beginning to see a very positive, uh, non Louie like trend in our own <laughs> golf trips. <laughs> That's probably a good point. I'm going to tell all of our uh, listeners to tune in to the uh, October 20th or 21st podcast, and uh, we'll recap this conversation <laughs> in a course that maybe is in better condition, that the green speeds are higher than eight, and then we'll have a good discussion. Okay. 
That is true. <laughs> the, the green speeds were a little disappointing. Um, yeah. But Pinehurst should be a lot of fun. And we'll definitely, we'll have, to, we'll have some uh, guests on the podcast then because we'll have uh, kind of, hopefully, a, a yeah. kind of the full crew. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, well, so so back to the Open Championship after, you know, Nate obviously won the front nine championship, if you want to call it that, uh, at Innisbrook. Um, we, uh, or maybe we call it the Copperhead Championship. I don't know what you call it, but, um, but Nate won. Let's just say that he won, uh, and we all lost. Uh, so we don't need to revisit that. Uh, but what, I mean, what, what, what did you guys think of, um, of some of the play that you guys saw at the open championship? I mean, what do you, what do you think of, of Spieth? Um, obviously, I, we didn't talk about him on the pod going in. I don't. I don't know if he was just flying under the radar, or if, or if we just weren't really thinking of him as a legitimate uh, guy to look at. But man, I think he he showed some really really good form that we haven't seen him show in majors in a while, outside of the Masters, if that makes sense. Um, and and I mean, he looked he looked really really good. And then and and for a while, I thought maybe he was going to be the guy who who ended up with a win. Well, and I think that's an interesting contrast. I, I truly believe that, you know, like Spieth and Morikawa are cut from the same cloth. Mm. You don't necessarily think of them, at least I don't, and I don't think statistically it shows either. Like you think of those guys as being really good wedge players, really good short game, sharp short game, really good putters, generally. But when you look at the stats, like there was that year that Spieth was like the best ball striker on tour in mm-hmm. 2015, right? Right. Yep. And Morikawa does the same thing, whether he wins at concession in the WGC that got moved from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's exactly what he did at the PGA when he won at Harding Park. Mm. And certainly what he did over the weekend mm-hmm. is, you know, you have that kind of safety net of you're a, you have a great short game. You're sharp with your wedges. Like he hit some shots. A lot of guys were like uh, bump and running, you know, seven iron, nine iron type stuff on some of those really tight lies. Right. He he did not hesitate to pull out his most lofted wedge and hit a nipper up there that had a ton of spin that stopped right next to the hole. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the faith that he has in his his game. And and what it really impressed me on Sunday was the fact that when he needed to make a putt, and even some of the ones that he didn't need to make, like, you know, he was pouring 25-footers in mm-hmm. at, at times that really gave him the cushion, I think, that you know, really didn't make it, you know, really made it more of a stress-free type uh, stroll on the back nine. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, that looked a lot like what Spieth used to do in 15, 16, and 17. Yeah. Well, and I think at one point on the back nine, I think the stat was that he missed, he missed like five or six greens in a row and he had to get up and down five or six times. And every single time he was able to get it up and down. Um, I mean, that, that definitely speaks to the fact that even when he wasn't striking the ball, great. Um, he was getting it up and down. And even to the point of even on Saturday, a lot of the same thing. Um, I was watching him early on Saturday and I don't think he hit a green for the first six greens, but I think he only made one bogey and, uh, and he was able to get the round back together and he was able to get back within one shot of the lead before the end of the day. And, and Saturday I think was the day that everyone said that it was playing the toughest. Um, and then on Sunday he just came out and just absolutely, you know, was a, was a stone cold, 
Um, killer didn't didn't beat himself, didn't put himself in bad spots. Just just absolutely um, he dissected the course as, as you would expect a guy like Tiger to. And when he was in his prime, like didn't didn't go out and do anything super flashy. Didn't have any eagles, but you know converted on some birdies. Didn't make any bogeys. Didn't hurt himself. Um, if that makes sense, which, you know, is the pedigree of, of great winners. Bob, what did you think? Well, and, that, and one of the things you mentioned there was he kept the round together when he didn't quite have his, his normal strong suit, right? Like he, didn't, he didn't hit a lot of greens. But if you notice where he was missing the greens, he wasn't missing them in terrible spots either, right? He was in spots that he could get up and down. It wasn't a really – uh, impossible up and down, or you know, I, I, I contrast that to what Ustazen did on uh, Sunday on I, I forget what hole was seven or eight, six, six, seven or eight, um, where you know he he missed the green and he stuck it right in that lip of the bunker, right on the edge of the bunker, right, and he's trying to get out of it, and it it ended up in just kind of a disaster. He couldn't get up and down from that, um, and that that's part of I think some of the elite golfers when you start. You're judged really by your misses, right? If you miss in spots that you can get up and down, um, you can keep the round together. And when you kind of work through it and you have your opportunities, you have to capitalize. Uh, and, and that's what he did. Um, the other thing that really struck me about the Open was just the, the overall quality of the leaderboard. For the most part, there were no surprises on that leaderboard. I mean, maybe we were surprised that you know we didn't we didn't talk about Jordan. But I don't think any of us are surprised that Jordan is on the top of the leaderboard, right? But right. Yeah, of course. Morikawa, Spieth, Ustazen, Kepka, you know, DJ, Scheffler, um, you know, Victor Hovland, Rom. They're all in the top ten. Those are all the guys we expected to be there, right? And I think I made the comment that this course tends, you know, historically Ben Curtis won, and you had some no names come up, and I might even made the prediction that someone outside of the top 20 or top 50 are going to win. Uh, and that was just flat wrong, right? You talk about the cream rising to the top. The best in the world showed up with the exception of uh, you know Dylan Fratelli, who came out of nowhere. But um, the, the leaderboard was the big names. And that's really been the story in the big tournaments this year. You know, it happened at all four majors. Um, you know, we had really strong leaderboards. And so you talk about kind of the – the status of the game as we transition away from the Woods Mickelson era into this new era, um, you know, it, it's, it's pretty strong right now. I mean, you, you've got a group of 10 or 15 guys who, you know, are going to compete for every major championship and it's fun to watch. Yeah. Did you guys see Morikawa's post uh, round presser afterwards in the media center? Not like what his his like uh, trophy ceremony speech, but like his his interview afterwards. I, he said something that I thought was very interesting, and I think they asked him like, "Can you put into words how you feel after winning two majors at such a young age?" And he goes, "You know, honestly, he he was like, I I don't I I don't even know what to think because I just." I always am trying to win. And so like as much as like I want to celebrate this and as much as I think that this is a great thing and it, it is one of the greatest wins of my life, like I want more. Like that is like to me, like that is the like that seems to be um a guy and he talks about how he how much he loves the game and, and those kinds of things, but like that seems to be a 
something you don't hear a whole lot of 24 year olds talking about necessarily, um, that maybe have the same pedigree that he has. Um, but you know, him talking about how important it is that like, not, well, I mean, this is great, but I want to win more. I got a lot of my career left. I know that I'm young. I know that I can, I can win a lot of these if I, you know, do what I know I can do obviously. And so like, he seems very focused and very, um, very, um, I don't know, but, but just sharp and in the way in which he is going to approach these big tournaments moving forward and, and continuing to move forward in his career. Uh, which means, I mean, I, I, I mean, what do you think the ceiling is for this guy? I mean, what do you think think the ceiling for major championships is? Do you think he's a. I will say, I will say, I think that's a great point because if you listen to Colin Marikawa, he is so mature. Yeah. And intelligent and articulate. You know, to be honest with you, he reminds me of kind of a blend of the insight that you get from Rory, like the thoughtfulness, but Mm -hmm. like the intelligence or the. I don't want to say maturity, but like the like it's a blend in in a press conference setting of mm-hmm. Spieth and Rory to me, mm. like a great blend of that. And I think those guys are really good analogies for him. So I completely agree with everything you just said, and I think that's easy for a and and I don't want to say easy, but I think it's 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 easy for a twenty four year old like Colin Morikawa who doesn't have any scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's what we saw. We we have seen with Rory and Spieth specifically, you know, you, you're going to have some level of adversity and sometimes it may take you multiple tournaments or multiple years to get over some of that in some places. But I also think it's easy for a 24 year old who isn't necessarily thinking about getting married or having children uh, and, and probably hasn't even cashed it in big yet. Now that he has mm. two majors, he's going to get a you know, a, a $10, $20 million a year endorsement deal with somebody. He's going to put some logos, some plate, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I think things start to change when you reach this level of success. And mm. so I completely agree with you that right now that's what drives him. That's what motivates him. And he seems really focused on this stuff. It'll be interesting to see as he moves forward, as he gets closer to 30, like Rory has, do do you take more of the tiger path where you stay super focused, where you stay laser sharp, or do you take the Rory, Jason Day, Justin Thomas, even a little bit path of like, Hey, I'm pretty successful. I have fun doing what I do. This is a great life. Like I'm going to enjoy it. And that may not necessarily lead you to play your best golf in major championships all the time. Mm, So for me, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting case study. Um, to see how this unfolds for him. Because, if he stays, because if he answer, stays focused, if he stays focused. To answer your question, yeah. after what we've seen from Harding Park and at Royal St. George's, I mean, I don't think at 24, um, with his ball striking in that short game, I, like you'd, you'd like to think the career Grand Slam is certainly on the table because he seems mm-hmm. built for U.S. Open to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he may struggle with some of the other guys in his generation at the Masters just because of how far they hit the ball. Not that he doesn't hit it a long way, mm-hmm. um, but generally, you know, hitting nine irons and wedges as opposed to lob wedges may over the course of four rounds affect you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, if he hits it as well as he did at the PGA and and at Royal St. George's, 
you know, the, the, the career grand slams on the table. And you would think between if he puts as well as he does, which is kind of the big question for me, because Mm -hmm. the kind of the, the one kind of red flag was that earlier this year, if you remember, he went from kind of the standard grip to the left hand low to even the Mm -hmm. pencil and saw while he was changing putters, right? He went from Mm -hmm. a spider mallet and now he's using kind of the more traditional, uh, I think Taylor made calls it the Daytona, but it, you know, the, the Anzer style putter that they have. So it's like, I, I don't understand how somebody who puts that well would be messing around with different putters, much less different grips. Right. But I, I guess it happens and he certainly figured it out because he, you know, he putted great, uh, when he really needed to. Um, but you would think eight to 10 majors for a guy that's 24 and looks this good this early. I mean, those were his debuts. He had never mm-hmm. played in a PGA championship. He had never played in an open champion. He shows up and wins. Right. That's impressive. Yeah. Let, I mean, eight to forget. 10. So, so you're saying, so you're saying eight to 10 majors is, is realistic, like ceiling for him. You yeah. Think? It, Which I play, mean, is it puts him, puts him among, I mean, Watson and player. I mean, they, these are names that you know will live in infamy in the game of golf so i mean that's that's saying something bob what were you saying i was say eight to ten i mean that's uh, you know uh, obviously that's uh that'd be awesome you know for him and for us to watch but man that's winning majors is hard right and mm. winning tournaments is hard and he he's on a little bit of a, a hot i don't say a hot streak but you don't call it a hot streak i mean his last four tournaments right he had the pga championship and i'm looking at it now he finished tied for eight then he had the Charles Schwab, a tie for 14th. And then he was second, fourth, and, and, and first in the last three. So he's playing really well. He caught the British Open – or, sorry, the Open uh, um, you know, at, at a really good time. But what I like about his game, what I think will translate, is the ball striking, right? T- typically, putting can go kind of up and down, right? You can, you, you can get hot. You can get cold. A lot of that comes with confidence. Short game chipping, I think, is, comes with confidence. But I, I feel like your, your ball striking can be a lot more consistent over a longer period of time. And, you know, Nate, you kind of made the point. You can rely on that, right? If you – I mean, if you hit 15 greens in a, in, a, in, a, in a round, you don't have to get up and down a whole lot, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, you don't need mm-hmm. a great short game if you're hitting that many greens. Um, and I, I, I don't know when he's going to win the Masters or if he's going to win the Masters, but – I, I will go out. I think he's going to win multiple U.S. Opens with that kind of uh, ball striking. That is mm-hmm. just absolutely built for two or three U.S. Opens easily. Uh, mm. Just he's got a you know obviously the chips have to fall right, but uh, he'll he'll be a U.S. Open champion. So I, I would probably say he's probably closer to five or six, just because winning more than you know that is really hard. And you're talking like elite hall of fame golfer well he's yeah, already right. a hall of fame golfer yeah well <laughs> which let's, is let's be yeah, serious. by the criteria no, but, like right well he and his other win that he has is a world golf championship which he's truly, got five wins right tour. well no i'm saying this year though right yeah, yeah, yeah. his other yeah, win yeah. this year is a world golf championship event that has the you know one of the best fields in golf right yeah so like he has proven consistently that when the best players show up he is the best of the best. Yeah. In well, my who, opinion, that's that's why right. I think the ceiling is a little bit higher. He's not going out there and winning in Puerto Rico or right. in, you know, Sanderson Farms or some of those like fall events. Right, which is what did, I was gonna but, which is which is what I was gonna These ask are premier you. events that he is winning. 
Yeah, which is what I was going to ask you. He's winning big tournaments with big names. And not only is he winning with big names in the field, but he is actually beating those big names on Sunday. Like, I think if I'm not mistaken, Dustin Johnson finished second at the PGA when he won. And I think, and, and obviously Jordan finished in second at this tournament. And Victor Hovland finished second at the World Golf Championship that he won. I mean, these are guys that are absolute guys that you think of as premier names in the game of golf, and he's and he's holding them off and beating them. And and I don't know how many people think of Colin Morikow that way. I mean, I know he's got the world ranking that you should think of him that way. He's ranked fourth in the world. But, like, I don't think most people think of him as the guy who's going to go out there and absolutely just hold off people like Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson. I think if you see Colin Morikawa's name next to Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson, you probably think Jordan Spieth and Justin, Dustin Johnson get the better of him more often than not. Well, and, I, I mean, I, and I don't know if that's true. Have, I don't know if that's actually it's true. Not, it is not he, true given the smaller he, sample size that Morikawa has on tour, right? And I think that's why we probably give the nod to some of those other guys is because they have a more established record. Yeah. Right? They've been around longer. We've seen their name out there. Morikawa's still... I mean, those are his debuts in those tournaments that he's winning. Yeah. Which I I think is really impressive. And I think that's my point, is that it's such a small sample size. He's got his whole career where he's going to be going against Brooks Koepka, John Rahm, Jordan Spieth. You know, those guys don't suck either. They are also really good, and they're going to win a bunch of majors. (laughs) Well said, my friend. Uh, so it, it, uh, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, right? It, it's, uh, you know, we talk about Tiger and his run, and he didn't have, a, he didn't have anyone close to him from a talent level, right? That that was able to consistently put it that way. He was that much better than everyone else, uh, and that's why it took Phil, you know, until he was thirty something years old to win a major. Um, and I, I feel like right now it's a lot more even. I, I, there's probably yes, Colin got the better of everyone at the at the British Open at the at the at the Open, but Rom just came off a victory on the U.S. Open that we could have said three weeks ago that hey, Rom's going to win eight majors, right? If he plays like this consistently, and we just don't know. And I guess that's well, but the question isn't how many do you th- like? That's I, at least in my to my defense. Let me clarify my comments here. Yeah. Eric asked what his ceiling is. Yeah, that's his that's ceiling. Okay. I I believe that he's probably going to win four, five, or six legitimate. Like I think that's a reasonable number to expect. And to me, if you can win a career Grand Slam, if I think you can win a career Grand Slam, that's kind of an extra check mark in your column, oh, yeah. if that makes sense, right? Because yeah. I think to me that shows a complete golfer. Because there are guys who can go out and win U.S. Opens or British Opens or. You know, even PGAs that typically are a little bit easier or guys who can go bomb it at the Masters, like Bubba, that you don't really think of contending at any other, you know, major, right? Even though Bubba, I guess, did contend. Well, I mean, Phil Mickelson arguably is the the second best golfer, um, you know, in our generation, and he does not have a career Grand Slam, which is exactly amazing. Or (laughs) Arnold Palmer, right? Right. Arnold Palmer did not win the career Grand Slam, so... If you if if you have the game to accomplish that, then you know I, I think that's a a high level of praise for any golfer. Well, I'll leave it to the uh, to, to the attorney to mince words on the question about ceiling versus. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to, <laughs> but I'll, and I'll I know you. That well, that is true. As you're right, as we've discussed in Innsbruck, I know you were recently coached for, to to handle a deposition. <laughs> 
it's a it's always a good thing for everybody to understand when you get asked a question you should only answer that question <laughs> deposition um, tip number one so so here here i guess is my and i know we have a lot of golf left in the in the season i, I think that there's a lot of things that can happen between now and the end of the playoffs before the Ryder cup but do you think anyone else is more deserving than Colin Morikawa for player of the year? No. Not not right now. Not right now. If somebody goes out and wins a couple of playoff events and ends up winning the FedEx yeah. Cup, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, there's still and such probably a probably even have to be John Rom. Yeah, or, there's or right. Yeah. There ha- there's such a weight on majors now or maybe the guy who uh, and I know it's not necessarily a PGA Tour event, but if somebody goes out and wins a gold medal, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a tournament that happens once every four years with a very limited field based on how they choose those. Not right. to say that should necessarily be a, a factor for PGA Tour Player of the Year, but I think it it could be. So if somebody goes out and, you know, let's say Xander Schauffele, who was my pick at the Open, Right. Let's say he goes and wins the gold medal and then he wins two of the playoff events and he ends up winning the FedEx Cup. I, I could see somebody like that. Or to Bob's point, maybe John Rahm wins the FedEx Cup because he wins a you know, one of the events, you know, the US Open and the you know, then I, I think I think you could make an argument there, but I think the number of people that deserve it more than Colin is is extremely limited at this point. So, well, so my well here here's a scenario. So what happens if Jordan Spieth who probably who I think has more top 5 finishes on tour this year than any other player who also has a win with on one tour win. Right. with one win but it's not non, a major, major it's a non WGC. Yeah. He goes out and he wins two um two playoff events, one of them being the tour championship and wins the FedEx Cup. Do you think that, that that moves him ahead of Colin Morcow, who won a World Golf Championship and a major championship? It it no. might, just because I think consistently, if you look at how those awards are handed out, there is a recency bias. Mm. And, and so I'm not saying that, in my opinion, does he deserve it more than Colin Morcow? I think it depends on how Colin Morikawa finishes the year. If his name is up there, maybe he picks up another win. I mean, you know, I, I think this could go one of two ways. I mean, I, I think a... Another kind of associated question is, how do you think this goes for Morikawa for the rest of the year? I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to continue to play at this level week in and week out. I think he's now the third-ranked player in the world. And I think with his amount of wins, if he continues to play well, he could very easily be one or two by the end of the year. But I also could see a a little bit of a lull because I think he had that after he won the PGA a little bit, right? He switched putter grips like we talked about earlier, and I think he struggled mm-hmm. with some confidence. So I think it could go one of two ways. Um, under your, at least in my mind, uh, under your you know, kind of hypothetical situation that you just posed with Spieth, I think it would be close, but I really do at that point, it, it would depend to me how Morikawa has finished. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I think, it, it, and I think that's it, something to be said that he controls his own destiny to some extent, right? If he comes out and plays well, even if he doesn't win, if he gets a couple, you know, top fives, if his if his name is consistently at the top of the leaderboard, whether he wins or not at those FedEx Cup playoff events, I think he's got it in the bag, regardless of who wins or whatever else happens. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I'd also say something slightly blasphemous for my family who is, is listening to this. The Olympic tournament has no bearing, I think, whatsoever on the the the, the player of the year. I mean, you're it, it is one of the weaker fields. I mean, I I don't know if that's really that much stronger than the you know, uh, some of the other really weak fields of the Sanderson Farms of the world. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, well, but DJ I think if there's a... Days in aren't the, there, there's some cachet to it, I guess. You get a gold Right. Medal, it's right? once that, every... Point, well, but. and I think I think they've tried to turn it in, and I, I agree with it, actually, but it's once every four years. It's like if you win the gold medal like Justin Rose did, that is the rarest prize in golf. I understand yeah. your point about and the you'll field always is weak be an Olympian a, and you'll always be a gold medalist, a gold, right? Like that's rare in golf. So my question is, you know, Justin Rose won a major. Um, I think he won at Marion, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. US 2013 Open U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, you know, he has he has the rarest prize in golf and a U.S. Open. My question is, is that and he was the world number one for a period of time. Um, is that good enough to get you in the? And we don't have to talk about this now, but is that kind of on the level of a players' championship or another major to get him into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. I think the I answer historically will be yes. At some point, maybe I don't. I, I think, don't think it is right now because I think right. it's too new. I think, but I think, I think it'll turn. I think ten years down the road. Cycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's a good I, that's I, a good conversation for a different day because I think we can go deep into that one because I, I, even the courses that they play, you know, in the Olympics are not necessarily a elite level course that's going to really challenge you know the players. Uh, but it's a good it's a good question. So um, so moving moving on, let's uh, let's kind of uh, wrap up our uh, our open. Um, talk what was your favorite thing about watching the open this past week um that that like you you saw or that you know what what did you i guess enjoy most about watching it so i'll go first i I will say i have two things kind of miscellaneous open related one (laughs) i love how i can wake up in the morning at like five o'clock make coffee and just watch like high level tournament golf i love that it's like <laughs> just because it's so rare like you know the the leaders will tee off around nine thirty or 10 and they'll be done by three and you can you know do yard work or go hit balls or hang out with your family like it doesn't take from like the u.s open sometimes or other you know the masters right the leaders are teeing off at two two o'clock local time so you like get up and you watch some of the pre-coverage but it, it you know you're locked into the tv from Two to seven, basically, right? Right. Two to and, two, two till you go to bed if you watch yeah. the uh, post, yeah. you know, round that's right. stuff. Yeah. Live, live from and all that stuff. So yeah. um, I like how it, it like it's there for you when you wake up in the morning. Thursday and Friday are some of the best days. It, it like to me now that feels as exciting as the Thursday and Friday of the NCAA tournament. Mm. To be honest with you, like just having the ability to wake up, you know, if you wanted to wake up at one thirty Eastern, you could watch them, you know, Richard <laughs> Bland hitting the first tee shot. Right. Um, I love that. And so it, it's a change. It's different. It's kind of like when they go play golf in Australia and you can watch it like all night if you want to. Mm, right. Uh, Tiger had a tournament in Japan for a while, like same same situation. So 
I love it when golf kind of gets off schedule and you get a, a little bit of a different feel. Um, you know, just watching that kind of stuff is great. But the the one takeaway that I have outside of Morikawa and Spieth and Louie, kind of the you know the 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 headline uh, grabbers of the week is Bryson. I don't think that I have seen a guy fall from grace any quicker. And I know we were talking about this a little bit. Like he went from being kind of the science guy, like the tinkerer, the, oh, one length clubs. And, oh, you know, he's got these stiff shafts. Oh, look at his weird putting stroke. Like he's spraying water on golf balls to figure out how they fly. Like, you know, he's doing that kind of stuff. Like, oh, that's that's cool. Like I like, you know, thinking Not outside of the his, box. His new diet. Well, right, he's gonna go eat fifteen pizzas and you know, four <laughs> protein shakes, right? Um, and he's gonna like just randomly yell, one eighty six like trying to get <laughs> trying to get a swing speed, right? He's gonna be and hitting he, balls in his living room, right. sweating refusely, just rapid At, fire. Like just and he calls that like speed training. Like he literally it's like watching Robbie Forsty on the range. Like, how quickly can I hit this bucket of balls? Like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to think about what I'm doing. I am going to go, like, as soon as my swing and I get to my follow-through, I'm putting the next ball on the tee, and I'm doing it again. Like, how quickly can I get through this bucket of balls? Um, So, but to go in the, you know, to go into a post-round press conference, and say, hey, my driver sucks. This face isn't made for me. We've got to get this fixed. It's not me. It's the club. And then what I think was more shocking, like, you know, Bryson, if you watched his press conference after the U.S. Open, like, to me, he seems like he's in this very dangerous territory where he can't take accountability for any of the bad things that happen, right? At Torrey Pines, he blamed uh, bounces or luck. You know, the course didn't work out. Like, it's like, man, you shot 42, Bryson. Like, that's not all bounces, right? Like, you didn't play well, and that's okay. Like, that's just how golf is sometimes. You win some, you lose some, you move on, right? The fact that, like, everything seems to be blaming somebody else, and he is, you know, not only saying that the driver sucks, but then to have the Cobra Tour rep, like the head of tour operations for Cobra, come out and basically say, like, yeah, that's just Bryson, he's never happy. Like, we've got guys working around the clock trying to come up with these clubs that literally no one else on earth would ever want or could use right the guy's producing 200 mile an hour ball speeds he's got a five degree driver with like the stiffest shaft that anybody uses on tour like who else could do this right Right. like this is specially designed equipment we're doing the best we can the guy's never happy that's just how he is Mm mm-hmm and then Bryson comes out and says, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. But then the funny part is Brooks comes out and says, yeah, I'm driving it great. Love my driver. And he can't even keep a straight face. <laughs> and I think what is more alarming to me is that that stuff clearly affects Bryson. Yeah. Like you have gotten tied up with the wrong guy once you show that you're sensitive and that that stuff affects you with Brooks. Cause Brooks is like that jock troll guy in high school that like, once he knows he's under your skin, he is not going to stop. And so this is just going to get worse for Bryson. If he can't shrug that stuff off and figure out how to hit a fairway 
or stop swinging at, you know, 140 miles an hour um, right. and, and start getting back to the stuff that made him successful at Wingfoot. But I like, you know, I know there's a meme going around kind of golf social media that shows like, you know, kind of in one of those relay races, a hand handing off a baton to another hand and underneath it, it shows Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau and it says, you know, now the most hated guy on the PGA Tour, Bryson DeChambeau, as if, you know, Patrick Reed was the most hated guy and now it's Bryson DeChambeau. Um, which I don't know if that's true or not. I think everybody still hates Patrick Reed too. Um, <laughs> They're both equally hated. I right. Think, is the, yeah, that's right. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they get paired at the Ryder cup or not, but Bryson <laughs> seems to have, seems to be on this trajectory that can't possibly be good for him. Could you imagine if those two guys got paired together and the United States crowd started rooting against the United States in that match? <laughs> I don't <laughs> Well, Patrick oh. Reed is like Captain America guy, right? Yeah. I mean, right. I think that if you want mm-hmm. to see something that would bother him, like I think that would be like life changing for Patrick Reed. Yeah, I don't think he true. could be able to process that at all. Right? Wouldn't it be funny though if Brooks started making fun of both of them? That'd be great. If like Brooks brought like a Captain America shield to <laughs> uh, to, to <laughs> whistling straights and gave it to Patrick Reed. And then gave him a new gave Bryson a new driver. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean that stuff from Brooks isn't going to stop. Oh man! Now it's that, so now it's that, a, now point, that he knows it works, it's not to your stop. point, Nate. It is it is fascinating to me, and I and I said this earlier while we were talking about this before we started recording. But I, I think the funny, I think the weird thing to me is that Bryson is hitting the ball so much further than everyone else. He, I think, if I'm not mistaken, leads the tour in strokes gained T to green. And and yet he's complaining about his driver not being good enough. Like, in my mind, that is a guy who doesn't have a picture of reality that makes sense in his head. And, and I mean, if I were Cobra, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but I'd probably be like, yeah, you know, Tadeus, you guys can have him like Callaway, (laughs) Taylor may take him. We don't even care anymore because like, I mean, he's just, he's insane. And we could probably sponsor eight other guys for the price we're sponsoring him and not have to deal with all this bull crap. Um, that has made him, by the way, the longest guy on the PGA Tour. So it's it, it does seem – it seems like he's been given kind of a golden ticket, and he's like, yeah, I don't really like gold, though. I kind of want platinum or something. You know what I mean? It's just – it's like I don't know what he's looking for that he doesn't already have. Um, and to your point, if it's equipment, like he's dead wrong. I mean he's got to at some point look himself in the mirror and say, okay, it's not the equipment's fault. Like it's, it's definitely, I need to do a better job of hitting the middle of the club face. And if I'll do that, I'll be fine. The equipment is not holding him back one bit. The one thing I will say though, when he won at the Arnold Palmer, he had the old school LTD, like the blacked out driver in his bag. And the only thing that I could think of, and I feel like it would have come out in kind of this public spat 
Like the only thing I can think of is that Cobra, because most of those guys have clauses in their contracts that make them play the most recent stuff. Because regardless of all of this, uh, like the we've talked about this before, but the proliferation of um, individualized fittings for every golfer, right? But every year they do uh, kind of blind surveys and they still find that guys on tour using a certain driver or a certain putter or a certain club is what drives consumers to purchase that club. And so the only thing – and so the the manufacturers put clauses in these equipment contracts that demand that they change every model year, which right. is interesting because if you looked at Colin Morikawa's equipment, he was still using the old SIM driver and three-wood. He doesn't have the right. new SIM too. Right, um, right. And so it'd be interesting to see what kind of contractual language he has with TaylorMade. But the only thing I can think of is Bryson, whether it was a Bryson decision or a Cobra decision, they said, hey, we need you using the rad speed or whatever their current driver is. I think that's what it is, as opposed to this five-year-old driver. And that's why he specifically made a reference to the face of that driver is no good for him. Like that's what Mm. the comment was about. It's about their Mm. forged like I, I don't know if they use a like I think they may forge it, but it like part of it is milled, and I don't know that that works really well with super high swing speeds like what he's doing. Mm. And so the only thing I could think of, and I really do feel like if it was the case, it would have come out, but that Cobra made him change to the rad speed because that's their most recent driver, and Bryson's their guy now. Who right. else does Cobra have? I mean, like obviously Ricky. But right. I don't think anybody's looking in Ricky's bag saying, oh, yeah, I have a ton of confidence because that's what Ricky Fowler plays. <laughs> so, yeah, not you know, unless you're 14 years old or 12 years old. Right. Or, and you love yeah, orange. Like that. And right. that's great. <laughs> and you. you love orange. <laughs> um, but it, you know what I mean? Uh, like outside of that, it's like just go take what you need to be successful and hit it. Right. I, I yep. just don't. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Put whatever stamp on the driver you want to put on. Correct. It. Yeah. Well, and and manufacturers have done that forever. TaylorMade got absolutely killed for that back in the days of the R11. You know, and everybody wanted a white driver. Well, not everybody liked white drivers, and so what they made some of their tour guys do is they had whether it was the SLDR or some other driver or you know R9 Super Quad or whatever they were playing. Right. They took those and painted them white. Painted them, yeah. Right. Yeah, so that people thought. And Phil, actually, uh, back in the day, he mm-hmm. had a ro- he played a Rocket Balls three wood for a really long time. He had Callaway paint it black, <laughs> right, so that it wasn't recognizable. Right. And so it, it's one of those things where you know that does happen from time to time, and it's interesting that not only did a guy like you know, take a shot at his manufacturer, but the manufacturer swung back. Right. <laughs> which is extremely rare. So you can only imagine the tension and bad blood that must exist there. Mm. Yeah, to me, it, it's that second part. It, it's the, and, and maybe it's just the, uh, I, I'm a little more manufacturer friendly than uh, than player friendly, given my my relationship with my employer. But uh, <laughs> I was I was actually kind of proud of Cobra firing back saying hey we're not gonna put up absolutely. with this no this is yes we we stand by our products we know what we're doing um you know and, and that's basically what they were saying is we we stand by our products we're confident in them and bryson's just you know kind of off in his own in his own head so yeah 
I, I'm with you absolutely on that, Bob. I think it's awesome that Cobra didn't just let Bryson bash hit their equipment and them say, yeah, you know, he's right. We've been working in the lab and just haven't been able to figure out what's right. It's our fault. You know, like, I'm glad that they were like, no, like we've been working tirelessly and we are doing a great job. And he never realizes that we're doing a great job. It's never good enough for him. He is, um, I think the quote was, he is literally never happy. Never happy. Well, and, and one of the things that he, and one of the things I thought was really funny was the Cobra guy came out and he said, he said something like, it's like an eight, it's like an yeah. eighth grader who, eight. who, who <laughs> tells you. Old. No, I think he said eight year old. Oh, I thought he said it was like an eighth grader that tells you that school is stupid and you're the principal, but you don't, you know, and you know, you know that, you know, he's an idiot. Eighth grader doesn't know what he's talking about, but. But it still hurts a little bit. It's like Yeah. Well and then know. and then I, I found it funny that he called it, right? So in right. that same comment he was like, Yeah, he'll come out after he said all that, his closing remarks were he'll come out and apologize. Like I just can't <laughs> believe he would say something this stupid. This is just how he is. I mean it, oh, it was man. like he called it. He knew exactly like, which to me is an indication that he's dead right. Yeah, and he's done it before. Correct. Uh, at least this behind is, closed this doors. Isn't, that's this, right. is, this isn't the this first normal, time this is normal happened. talk. Yeah, that's normal right. talk. So, um, well, yeah, I think that was definitely something interesting that came out of the uh, out, out of the open. Bob, did you see anything interesting that like you uh, you noticed or or that really struck your eye as you were watching or or as you were just kind of observing the the tournament in general that last week? No, I mean the, the biggest thing, and we just talked about it, was the, the 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 field and the strength of the field that rose to the top. And uh, I was a little disappointed with some of the guys like uh, uh, Justin Smith, uh, Justin Thomas, who just didn't quite uh, didn't quite show up. That you know, I didn't really expect him to play really well, but I really wanted him to, just because I like seeing Justin Thomas playing really well. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't didn't quite come to fruition, or um, and. Uh, but just seeing that the overall field, I think, was good. Um, I, it was good to see Dustin Johnson play a little bit better. Uh, it was good to see uh, some of those guys that we know can play um, starting to put it together. I, I still, you know, I picked Victor Hovland. I'm still really high on him. I think he's going to win a British Open or a, uh, the Open one of these one of these years. I think he's got a good game for it. Um, maybe St Andrews. Uh, I think that's next year, right? Next year, one hundred fiftieth next yeah. year. Yep, at the home of golf. Uh, I, I I can see him doing really well at St Andrews, but uh, uh, no, I mean it was uh, like I, I was really excited for early golf until I realized, you know, out in California, um, <laughs> coverage started at midnight. <laughs> Yep. Like midnight and, you know, I had to actually go to bed at some point. So I couldn't really stay up all night to watch it. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing. Uh, but um, still getting up early, right, and turning it on, having it on while, you know, you're having – that, that's really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to uh, – Asian golf when it's out in, in the Olympics and because the timing is reversed a little bit for me where I can watch it at normal times at night. So that, that's kind of nice to nice to have. But um, no, mm. I, I like the field and, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, kind of what's next. And I think we'll talk about, you know, the next tournament that uh, is uh, everybody should watch, frankly, because um, <laughs> it's, it's in my home state. But uh, hey, we can get to that yeah. here in a little bit. Yeah, I think I think the thing that stood out to me was the weather. 
Um, you know, you, you typically think of the British Open as a place where the wind blows a lot and you get rain, uh, usually typically throughout the week. And, um, and that really dictates the, the scores and you just didn't see that at all. I mean, it was, it was fairly benign all week, um, which I think led to those low scores. I think that's the lowest, uh, score to par 15 under par that has ever been recorded at Royal St. George's in a, in a open championship. And so, um, in my mind, that was one of the storylines that I think, uh, you know, gave and brought that cream to the top. Uh, if you, if you, when you're talking about bringing the cream to the top, I think one of the reasons why is because it didn't require, um, it, it was, it was point and shoot golf for the most part. It wasn't a whole lot of things you had to do a whole lot differently than normal. Um, and greens are slow enough that if you could adjust to the green speeds being slower, you, you, I mean, you're some of the best players in the world. Um, you know, you can, you know, you're not worried about balls bouncing and releasing far away into, into, you know, low points or low areas where you're having to put over ridges or chip because, um, because balls are rolling off fronts of greens and those kinds of things. It was uh, so, so I think the weather and just the course conditions in and of themselves set up for the low scoring, which I thought was interesting because um, I think, you know, you kind of expect, oh, well, you know, whoever's going to come out and be able to handle the conditions the best is going to walk away probably having a pretty good chance to win. Um, that didn't seem to come into play really at all in this in this Open Championship, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. It's still made for really good golf. It just it's not what you expect necessarily when you're turning on the Open to watch it, you know. <clears throat> but. Um, we'll, we'll move on. We got, uh, 3M open this week in what Bob said, obviously his home state of Minnesota and Bob, I mean, you have some familiarity with this golf course. You've actually played it, played it a long time ago. Um, and so tell us a little bit about that and, um, and you know, what we maybe can expect, uh, you know, going into this week, who, who do you like and, and, and what are your thoughts, uh, moving into this week? Yeah, so you know they're playing TPC Twin Cities this week, which uh, I you know I grew up in Minneapolis, and this course is maybe 20, 30 minutes in one of the northern suburbs of Blaine. Uh, when I lived there, um, it was not called TPC Twin Cities; it was called Deacon's Walk Country Club, um, and uh, it was the site of the nineteen ninety eight uh, Minnesota Boys Golf uh, State Championship, and. This was actually uh, it was played here, and that was it was my junior year in high school, and it was my best finish that I'd ever had um, in any um, competitive tournament in high school. Uh, ended up coming in third, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Um, so I, I, I actually I really like this course. I only played it that one time. Never got to play it. It was thirty six holes. Never got to play it. You know, outside of that, but. Uh, we obviously played it from a much shorter distance, and it's been renovated a few times, <laughs> so it's a it's a little bit different. Um, we played it from about 6,400 yards, and I, you know I was playing with my top flight Intimidator driver and my Strata <laughs> golf balls, which um, I, I don't know all of the. And I'm I'm not Bryson DeChambeau. I don't have the physics behind it, but I don't think you know the um, I don't think the the face on that top flight is quite nearly as hot as today's drivers and i'm not sure that strata flies quite as far as my tp5x <laughs> so we're, maybe there's a little bit of a you know uh a little bit of difference there but um you know the course it's a your standard kind of woodland park minnesota style golf course um 
you don't think of Minnesota as having a lot of elevation changes, but it is not a flat part of the state. It is very up and down. There are elevation changes. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Central Florida. Um, you know, for those of you who are in kind of that area, like the Ocala area that has some up and down to it, right? It's very similar to that. Um, and it's one of those courses where if you hit it in the fairway, these guys will tear it up. I wouldn't be terribly terribly surprised if the winning score was something in the 18 to 25 under range, just because uh, it's not particularly difficult. You just got to keep it in the fairway, and there's going to be someone there that is going to do that and just destroy the course. Um, you know, that being said, you know, looking at the, the field, you know, it's always hard choosing winners for me in these fields that have, uh, you know, coming right off of a major, you know, there's not a lot of guys that are flying from, you know, England to Minnesota. Uh, I will say that's not a really popular flight that typically takes place. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go, you know, I, I know like Louie is in the field, DJ's in the field. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb. There's no way they, they, they win. Um, maybe that's totally wrong, but I don't, I don't think they're winning. Um, <laughs> who, uh, who I like in it is actually a guy kind of like, uh, like, like Matthew Wolf, I think is a good, is, you know, he's in the field and he played well a couple weeks ago. Uh, I like him as a winner. Uh, I like Luke List. I think that's another good one. Um, a guy that uh, can, you know, kind of keep it in the ballpark because, you know, it's not a long course. You just got to keep it in the ballpark and you will be just fine. So looking forward to see it. Um, I know, uh, you know, the weather is supposed to be gorgeous this weekend. So uh, really looking forward to that. Yeah, the uh, I think your Matthew Wolf pick is a very interesting pick. I mean, he won here. This is the side of his very first win mm-hmm. on tour, and uh, as well as a, a T three, I think, um, in his second visit. So, has yet to finish outside of the top five in his two visits to this uh, to this golf course. So, any any coming back from he decided not to play in the Open Championship. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know if that has to do with kind of his mental trying to stay mentally focused and, and also mentally healthy and, and, um, and those kinds of things that he's talked about since coming back, um, after his, uh, you know, disqualification at the masters. But, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what played into him taking off at the open, but, but I do think, uh, you know, he if he comes into the form that he showed, kind of coming back off of that uh, that mental break that he took, um, I I don't I don't I think that's a great pick. I think that's a really good good uh, guy to look at. Uh, Nate, who do you who are you looking at this week? Yeah, so you guys already know. I feel like it's destiny. Um, <laughs> he had a very solid week at Royal St. George's. Uh, didn't make putts, but not surprising. Greens were super slow. Yeah. Um, you know, my guy looked like Bob Pan at Innisbrook. Uh, every now and then they'd flip over and show him, and he would hit a 20-footer, you know, about 15 feet. And then <laughs> he would he would hit an 8-footer about 12 feet. <laughs> so I, my guy really struggled, but you know what? He's back on good quality. Like, these greens are going to be quick. Bent grass um, one, greens. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I remember about the court is just how green it is. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. lush, right? Like the divots that those guys take out of the fairways are immense. 
And yeah. my guy, from what I hear, this is actually one of the best pro ams on tour as well. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, I do think my guy's a great pro am pairing. I hope one day uh, my buddy Bob will be CEO at Mazda North American, and, uh, <laughs> and we can get out together at a pro am. Hopefully, we'll be paired by with my guy because I think he's winning by a million this week. I think. <laughs> I, I think Finau gets on the train this week. Uh, he's had some really strong finishes in the past. Uh, he play he's been playing better, um, and so as long as the jet lag and kind of exhaustion doesn't get him, I, I think he's looking good. The other guy that I really like this week and and didn't go over to the British Open because of COVID restrictions. I think Bubba could. He's been playing significantly ah, better. Good pick. Typically yeah. plays well at places like this. You know, I always think of this and and the tournament in Connecticut. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, in Hartford, fairly similar. You know, low scores. You know, a golf course that's pretty gettable. And Bubba has always played well at at Hartford. So, um, I, I think he's uh, those two guys. I, I like a bomber here. To Bob's point, they could get to. You know, 18, 22 under par, those par fives or par fours for most of those guys. So that that's who I've got this week. Well, um I was I was also on the female train. I think I think this is a this is one of those situations where I think that I just feel like it's kind of right for female. I think he's kind of been under the radar most of the year because of his play. Um, but obviously showing some good form at the open. Um, and this just kind of being a place that I think sets up well for his game as well as, you know, I feel like, I feel like some of the pressure has to be kind of off of him because he hasn't been in the spotlight for not pulling it off, um, over the last little while that if he can, if he can stay in that good form and he can, uh, get to the top of the leaderboard, he'll have a better chance of closing this one out as opposed to some other ones. Uh, that maybe have been up there, so I feel like this is a good week for him, and I and I want to I want to say that he's probably my my top pick, but since Nate was uh, picking him by a million, um, I I think you know I think it's also I think it's one of those things where um, there are there are some some guys out there in this field that you know I think have been playing really really well uh, for much of the year that we don't we don't really talk about a whole lot and we don't really think about a whole lot. But a guy like Cameron Tringali um, is a guy I think of uh, who showed some form at the Open. He's shown some form in almost every tournament he's played in this year, uh, especially tournaments like this. He tends to be somewhere around that top twenty range, and uh, and I think this is a this is a guy you can look at to potentially come up and and get a win at a place like this. So so I'm thinking I'm thinking maybe you know Cameron Tringali is a guy for a for a good high finish here. Um, I really like your Bubba pick too, though. I mean, six top tens in 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 the last two months, um, or not six top tens, but six top twenties in the last two months, um, is uh, is is showing some really really good form for Bubba. And I think in some of those tournaments, he had the lead going into Sunday, um, and and then lost it on Sunday. So um, I think I think you know some of those finishes might even be higher than you know top twenty if he if he doesn't have a bad day on Sunday. So um, so I like, I like that pick as well, but, but I would say, uh, Finau is probably my favorite, but, but I would say keep an eye on a guy like Cameron Tringali to come up and maybe be a dark horse, uh, to, to come out with, uh, with a good chance to win this week. So, um, I, I, I gotta ask, is it, is it surprising to anyone that Nate's picking Finau when Finau is like the Louis Ustazen of non-majors, 
right? Yeah. Where, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to, but and so it's interesting, right? Because you you have that contrast, and some other podcasts uh, that I listen to because I I love listening to golf podcasts while I sit at work. Um, they give Louis such a hard time, but Finau is given like a pass, right? Like, oh, he's just Tony. He's a great guy, you know, but Louis <laughs> the guy who can't finish. So I agree. It is interesting. Kind of the, the contrast there. Um, when Louis, I don't think has ever offended anybody. He's like one of the nicest guys ever. So, but it, it, what, what, when you're trying to pick a winner, it always helps if the guy that, typically finishes in the top five is the guy you're picking it's got to be it's got to be a matter of time before it clicks yeah and i and i i would agree with you on that and i think um yeah i mean i i I just think i just think this this tends to set up well for him i think i i don't know why but i just have a feeling that tony finau will will play really really well this week and have a chance to win on sunday so i'm gonna I just I felt that way uh, looking at some of the statistics, and I know that he has traditionally played well here. I know last time uh, he finished third um, at this event, so um, I think this is a good spot for him to to get a get a win, get off the Schneid, so to speak. So, anyway, uh, it's been a great podcast, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for making it happen. And uh, as always, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in. We really uh, enjoy uh, producing this podcast. So keep listening, keep uh, sharing it with your friends, and let us know uh, if there's anything specific that you'd like to uh, hear on the podcast moving forward. Uh, we're looking forward to being back with you next week, looking ahead to the Olympics. Um, as well as um, some more PGA Tour um, action. So uh, exciting stuff coming ahead. We got uh, football's getting ready to start. We got, um, and and that means the playoffs are rolling around. Ryder Cup's getting close. So uh, lots of cool stuff coming up in the world of golf. So stay tuned over the next few months uh, or the next few weeks uh, at the very least. And um, and we will uh, we'll try and do our best to make sure that you always have a great podcast to listen to. But thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll be with you again next week. Y'all have a good week.